A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The year is 1980. Sydney's streets are filthy, running rampant with crime and corruption. Puberty blues is onto the cinemas, ice houses blaring on the stereo, it's humid and dangerous, and a young man has decided to join the police force to fight crime. That man, of course, is my dad. Loose Units, the podcast, was created to tell the cases that wouldn't fit into my first book, Loose Units. But Loose Units was a series of fantastical tales that I wrote based on the real crimes my dad solved on the force back in the early 80s. So this season, dad and I are finally going to go back, back, back to the year 1980. And each week, we'll be going chapter by chapter through Loose Units, the book. And dad will tell us the story behind my version of events. It'll be thrilling, revelatory, and as always, very very loose. Welcome to Loose Units Origins. Hello and welcome to Loose Units Origins. Every week I sit down with my dad, John Verhoeven, and we talk about stuff that he lived through as a cop in the 80s. And we're working our way through my book, Loose Units, and we've reached chapter 21, which is sort of the, I guess it's the conclusion of a cliffhanger, dad. Because last time we were doing the book, uh, we dealt with the, the story of yourself and Dunn, who was your kind of Glaswegian partner at the time. And you pulled over a carload of, let's say, ruffians, ne'er-do-wells, scoundrels, Reca- scallywags. Re- recalcitrants. Reprobates. Um, Got any more? The whole point was the story basically had you guys pull over this car and then they were sort of... I mean, your assertion, Dad, if, if I remember correctly, was that these guys were clearly on the way to rob someone or something, correct? Yep. They were. Um, they'd come from a, uh, a suburb mm-hmm. out west. Uh, with all respect to people that live out west, crime town. Yep. Um, <clears throat> but when you ask yourself about crime towns, mm. pick a country town, for example. Um, you know, country towns are generally divided into into areas. Uh-huh. Um, sort of. I guess it's a thing with people, but in in country towns, you've got all different types of people and in different occupations. We've got the Hammock District. Uh, you've got the Latin Quarter. You've got uh, Little Italy. No, in country towns, you do have those sort of... You, very, very, of, very much so. There's a bit of a diaspora. You've got the kind of... You know, there's always the kind of rougher side of town, mm. even in very small... Is that what you're trying to say? <clears throat> I am. Um, well, let's take Armadale, for example. Okay. A, a small country town in New South Wales, mm. <clears throat> for those people that would like to look at it on a map. And um, it's near Tamworth, isn't it? Yeah, it's up in the New England region, mm. named so because it reminded them of England in, in and, that it's so cold. And was actually the sequel to Old England, but you know, sequels aren't as good as the original sometimes. No. So, but there's a railway track, mm. and you're familiar with that term 
from Across the, the other tracks si- or from the other side of the tracks. Yeah. Now, what 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 is it about railway tracks that seems to create an almost instant cultural sort of economic barrier? What what like what it's, is that? It's it's amazing. It's like postcodes. It's like magic. <clears throat> well, where we live in Sydney, yeah. Without putting too fine a point on it, mm-hmm. there are there are magnificent, um, affluent, just stunning suburbs nearby with yeah. historic, grand Victorian homes, terraces. If you walk across one bridge, which is only a matter of metres, mm. you step into, metaphorically speaking, another world. And that is an example. And with postcodes, they draw the line down the middle of streets. So you can be on one side of a street and be in one suburb. Mm. And it's really, really funny. In Sydney, there are suburbs that mainly the perception of the people living in them. Sometimes I'll say to them, what suburb are you in? And they give me the name of a suburb but then they add the word heights, which doesn't exist. Right. So it's like a hyacinth bouquet. It's That's a very it's, much so. It's Tajay. It's a. It's a, it fa- it's fascinating human nature. The way we feel as though we have to continually up the ante, and and yeah. that that people actually care. I mean, and I then say to them, well, can you define heights? Is is it a mound? No, it's a bu- it's above and outside of the place that is better than the place yeah, I'm in. Is it's, it's, it's fascinating. And Paul, just before we start, also yeah. now for those of you that are unaware, Sydney is experiencing fairly catastrophic weather conditions here. It's flooding, basically. Mm, the Warragamba yeah. Dam has actually it's 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 overflowing, which is a rare occurrence, <clears throat> but a very good, um, I guess. I was going to say dipstick, but a way of sort of just getting a... Well, you know how a dipstick works. You No, is that prison slang for something? No, no. A dipstick is when you open the... Or in the olden days, you'd open the hood of your car. I don't know whether anyone ever does this anymore, but you check the oil. With a dipstick? It was called a dipstick. So you'd pull it out. Balls you'd, you'd You'd get a... Um, it was this long metal, slightly sort of um, floppy, <laughs> but not super floppy. Uh, let's say flexible. If it's cold of a morning, it's long, funny. long rod, and you would um, you'd you'd get a piece of um, tissue, and you'd wrap it around or said sock. rod, said yep. rod, and you'd pull the rod through the tissue. So you'd clean all the oil off. Mm-hmm. You'd then reinsert it, Please. and then pull it out quickly, Please and you'd don't. you'd look at the at the oil, and it'd have a level on it, like it had high, low, and that's how people used to check the oil. That is a dipstick. Um, but but but. But what I'd like to say yes. is that um, I actually went to the BBC News this morning to find out the weather in Sydney. Now, what you're trying to say is that the weather in Sydney is so bad that you can go to the BBC and they will be talking about it, correct? correct? That's what I okay. meant to say, yep. which is an analogy in the, insofar as it demonstrates the, the, the ferocity um, and weirdly, everyone, you all know that I have a ute and it was involved in an accident. Mm-hmm. And on Friday, mm-hmm. I took the ute to the uh, assessors. Yes. And um, they have lent me 
a most salubrious motor vehicle that I almost wanted to drive continually. And if we could have done the podcast from that car, this higher car, because it's Mm -hmm. so beautiful, Mm. we would have done that. Um, Well, so I have a desire after the podcast, um, just to get back in that vehicle because it's so drive. And, and drive in the rain. And we got to drive through some incredible puddles. <laughs> in this. They've actually advised people not to leave their houses. That's how bad it is. Yeah, maybe m- maybe follow that advice because the last thing you need is a rental getting damaged. And speaking of damaged cars, Dad, the car that we left off at the tail end of Chapter 20, uh, done for, was damaged by done. So that, and then he and then he slapped that sticker on it, basically saying it was unfit to drive. Mm. It wasn't roadworthy, meaning they had to basically get a tow. Okay. Correct. Yeah. So his sort of plan there, just to kind of flash back, was these guys are shitbags, and I they haven't technically done anything yet, and they're kind of giving me some sass. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break. What, what did we smash a taillight with his baton? Was that it? Headlight. Headlight, sorry. And then technically that means it's not roadworthy. Then he puts a big orange sticker on it saying not fit you know, to drive. Mm, mm. And then they start walking, right? Yep. Presumably towards some sort of public transport situation. Yep. You hop in your car, mission accomplished. Or so you thought. Now, chapter 21 picks up where that kind of story left off, leaving that damaged car by the side of the road. And I thought what I would do is... Uh, can I start by continuing on in the chapter and sort of setting the scene a bit? Paul, I've said it once and I'll say it again. Mm-hmm. You are an ideas person and I'm in your hands. So take it away. Okay. And this is from chapter 21 and it's called Training. As John was mulling this over, cruising away from the car with the busted headlight, locking down in his head what kind of a copy he wanted to be, Dunn whistled a single shrill note. John, startled, looked over at Dunn, who nodded for him to pull over. Something wrong? John asked. Dunn shook his head. Just watch. John pulled the wagon to the side of the road once again and they sat for two full minutes. Dunn perched there with an expectant look on his face as he watched the road. And then, as if by clockwork, the mustard cortina with the busted headlight and the red sticker roared past them. Dunn smiled at John, shrugged, turned on the light and the siren and slapped the dashboard, snapped his enormous fingers and pointed dead ahead. John hit the accelerator, the wheels skidding in the gravel verge, before pulling out into traffic in full pursuit mode, lights flashing, siren blaring. Basically, it seems like Dunn knew that they were going to get back in the car and drive off anyway, right? Mm, yep. Uh, isn't that kind of... I'm using this in the loosest possible definition of the term, but isn't that kind of entrapment? Like, if they were, gonna, if they were leaving anyway, what is this next series of events actually going to achieve and this is just me playing devil's advocate the the driver of the uh, of the vehicle was yeah. um trying to put it put it nicely mm-hmm. for listeners who are sensitive um the the driver was yeah to use a colloquialism used often by police back in the 80s um i can use a few of them he was a uh a shit bag uh-huh a scumbag, a dirt bag, um, just a, ba- a bag, a crim, a an asshole, a rude fuckwit, um, the sort of guy that um, had had a lot of encounters with the police. He had one hundred percent contempt for the police, and he he thought he was getting the last laugh. The only reason we slapped a red defect label on the windscreen of that car. Mm. 
<clears throat> was that it was night time and you can't drive a car on a street in New South Wales with one headlight out for obvious reasons. Because right. so, uh, then it appears to oncoming traffic to be a motorbike and then you might not factor in that that headlight would enable you to, in essence, get closer to the car as it was coming towards you. So it's a real, real safety concern. Um, obviously, if, it, if, it, if everything was fine, everyone would just have one headlight. Mm. So it's a serious breach. If this had have happened at nine in the morning, Paul, this whole story, these two chapters would not exist in time. It would have been a non-event. But the fact that it was getting dark and done used... I guess some some lateral thinking created a situation where, and I had a, I have a feeling, a very strong feeling, because he was a very very cunning mm. and and very good street policeman, of which there yes. were a few, I can yeah. assure you. Um, these guys and girls, they 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 just operate on an, on another level, and I was there to learn about good policing. I'm, I and please don't take the word good, you know, don't pillory me for that. Um, for that word in this particular you, context. You mean competent policing, right? Yeah, and just, yeah. you know, good, good, skillful, sort of inherently um, uh, sort of, you know, getting into the mind of, yeah. Of, yeah. Of, of the people. So I have a feeling that Dunn knew how this entire scenario would unfold as per the pages in your book. It was a lay-down misere. And so far... From what you've read, everything unfolded the way he thought it would, and I, I found I found it fascinating. So when we um, went into the traffic and then put the blue lights on, he would have looked in his rear vision mirror, and you knew the game was up. And um, when you're pulling over a car, we you know we obviously try and pull over for for their safety and ours in a very sort of safe place, which we yep. managed to do. <clears throat> and I was I was an observer, you know. I had just come out of my 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 training period, and I was uh, wide eyed and 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 eager and 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 pretty excited to sort of see how this particular event would unfold. Yeah. So. Um, did you have any? I mean, did you have any idea what was going to happen next at this point? I may have had an inkling, but it's difficult for me to look back almost forty years because that's the thing about memory. Um, you know, it's it's hard to sort of remember, um, you know, precisely how I thought in terms of what would unfold. But now that I'm sitting here talking to you, Paul, um, and having just read that chapter again this morning, um, it just seems so natural in terms of the the order of operation. Um, and I almost said his name. My colleague, he um, he, uh, he he approached the driver, and I was with him, and I remember looking at the the two occupants in the back. So there were four occupants. There was the driver, passenger, two occupants in the back. Yeah, and they were all cut from the same cloth, um, but they weren't the driver. They had not disobeyed a direction. They had technically done absolutely. Nothing wrong. But they got back in the car, right? Yeah, but that's that 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 would be thrown out of court in a microsecond. Okay. <clears throat> You'd have to prove that they yeah. were completely aware and had the driver explain to them 
as a group mm-hmm. the you know what this red sticker meant so that, that just forget about that they're just sort of going along for the ride okay the onus falls on the driver in this case exactly and right. um or the person in charge of the motor vehicle yeah so when when i was teaching Anne to drive and she went through a red light and the camera went off i got the fine i had to go to court even though she was the driver because at the time i was responsible for that motor vehicle mm-hmm. so i had to sort of it was that was a sh- another shit fight but oh, okay anyway um so you know these guys um my my companion my my partner he made it very clear to the three of them um that they should just get out of the motor vehicle don't look back and just go back to where you come from yep and how you do that guys we don't really care about but they were very very grateful and the speed in which they exited that vehicle left their mate there and that's kind of the it reminds me of that expression as as thick as thieves when the chips are really down it's every man for himself these three guys they bolted they bolted into the sunset and we never saw them again and the driver who was still believe it or not as or more smug than before he genuinely genuinely didn't give a shit now you're fact, you before you've you've said something before uh, which i found interesting and that is that if people are still kind of being like that in front of cops it implies that they have dealt with cops a lot before in that kind of in a kind of you know what i mean like they've mm. got experience being kind of you very know very much uh, so but that i mean that okay so that kind of implies that he's you know Look, I pulled over plenty of crims in my day, mm. and and you know these are crims that that they know the law, they know their rights. Yeah, and and might I say on that point, and so should everyone. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yes. But there's another group in society. Now, this is going to be a little bit controversial with what I'm about to say, but I'm going to put it out there because it's a fact. And that, there, and that is that there is one other occupation and, I, and I'm being very nice here in that I'm actually, by by default, I'm actually including being a criminal as an occupation. And it is an occupation. And for some people, some crims, it might even be a five-day-a-week job uh, working certain, you know, repetitive hours. It's also, so maybe, possible on... to be, it's also maybe possible to be a criminal, not hurt people, and, uh, and get away with it. Well, <laughs> white-collar white crime. Exactly. There's all kinds of uh, there's all kinds of I would say pretty fucked behavior, which is completely condoned because it is technically legal. So, totally yeah, agree with you. Totally yeah. agree. But white collar crime can cause infinite misery. I couldn't agree more. It's, yep. it's, it, that's a, it's a diabolical thing, and I, and yep. I it's a whole other topic. But Paul, um, what I really wanted to say and get it off my chest in a kind of a funny sort of a way okay. is that there is one occupation where if they told you that they did this particular thing for a living. Um, it was cause for for sheer terror, particularly as a junior police officer, and that was if you pulled over a lawyer. It was it was very problematic, right? Because they would wrap you up, they would bamboozle you, and I had situations where we'd pull over lawyers uh, for basic offences. Well, in terms of black and white offences like drink driving, yep. And I'll tell you what, they made your life miserable. Are you talking? What kind of lawyers are we talking? I mean, clearly solicitors, right? But if you pull over like a, if you pull over a non-profit human rights lawyer, they're not they're not going to have the same response as a kind of high-profile QC who's on his mm, way somewhere. Yeah, but you might pull over a university student studying law, which ah, is even more scary. Yeah, because they oh. think they know the law. They're full of newfound power. Yeah, they've got, you know they'll start quoting, things. you know, the whatever act, and so you really have to know your stuff when you go yep. out on the street as a police officer in any country of the world, perhaps not. Mm. Perhaps not in in Moscow, where they operate on on, on different, you know, and and perhaps in, well, we won't, we won't start naming countries, but I think we all get the, the gist. Yeah. Um, but you know, this particular guy, he was had, not a lawyer, presumably. Was he not was a, a lawyer, but, no. but 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 they 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 learn a lot in jail. They learn a lot, and and, and let's face it, Paul, there are actually real lawyers in jail. Hundred percent, and so, people who, and also, if you're in jail and you go, I'm going to learn the ins and outs of the legal profession. Mm, you know, well, you, study you law. Have, study you have law. time. Get yeah. a degree. Yep. Why not? I mean, there, 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 there have been judges in jail, so you know, no yeah. one's immune from, from prosecution. Mm. But I, I realised, and watching my very able and capable colleague who had who had worked as a police officer in Scotland, uh-huh. which is a which is a tough tough gig and um this guy was basically he was asked to get out of the vehicle yeah and my colleague he sort of locked his hands on the steering wheel and he just thought fuck you so my colleague opened the door and literally and he was a big big policeman massive hands he reached and he grabbed him Mm -hmm. and he reefed him out 
in one swoop. The guy was airborne and he's taken him from the seat out of the car and stood him up and said, you're in a shitload of trouble. And he started to to rattle off all the different offences he'd committed. Mm-hmm. One of them was disobey police direction, which is quite yep. a serious one. Yep. There were things under the Motor Traffic Act. There was things under the Crimes Act. There was a whole, there was an array of things that this guy was going to be hit with. And the guy was starting to kind of be a little bit, maybe 5% contrite. And, uh, but he couldn't help himself. He, he just had to continue sort of uttering, you know, profanities and, and telling us that we, you know, blah, 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 and mm-hmm. whatever. And so um, Dunn indicated to me to go to the back of the paddy wagon, which was uh, 6-1, yep. a mass, massive paddy wagon with yep. a huge caged area, which was covered. The cage was covered in a tarp. And there was a door at the back, hinge door with padlock. Mm-hmm. And I had the keys to the padlock because you had those attached to the car keys. I opened up. Now, inside these, the back of a panel van, a sort of paddy wagon for people that don't fully appreciate. And they don't have them anymore. In fact, how big, how big is it in those things or was it in okay, those things? Okay, well, you know the, you know the, the police wagons uh, they've got in Melbourne, which yeah. I always think are so small. I can't imagine. I mean, imagine. I imagine you can just sit up. Okay. But in the paddy wagons of of yesteryear, you could literally stand up in them. They were a mighty vehicle, and you could put on a squeeze. Uh-huh. I reckon you could put comfortably twenty people in the back. That's a lot of people. It is. Well, they would be squeezed in. Yeah. Um, rather tightly, but um, and you know they they could breathe. They had little vents. So we kind of um. Done sort of frog marched, which is a term where you hold the back of them, you might hold one hand um, sort of round the collar at the back, and then one hand on the belt. And so you've got this sort of very strong grip to prevent them from, you know, escaping. Mm-hmm. Because technically speaking, once you inform someone they're under arrest, <clears throat> all their liberties are, um, you know, suspended. You know, there, there are only a few things they're allowed to do. <clears throat> so we put him put him in the back of the station, but first we cuffed him. So and I used my handcuffs and I cuffed him behind with sort of hands behind his back, and then we assisted him into the back of the van. And there are two bench seats that face each other, yep. opposite each other. And he then sat on the bench seat, um, arms behind his back, cuffed, totally pissed off, swearing and. You know, carrying on. You can't yeah. do this. Blah blah blah. So we put him in the back, um, locked the locked the door, and then I went round to the driver's side. Um, Dunn hops in the passenger seat, and mm-hmm. my my thought was that we were about to head, obviously, back to North Sydney Police Station. It was around about six six thirty, and we would then process the prisoner. And uh, obviously, we left his car, uh, locked his car, um, made sure that everything was safe from that perspective. You know, because we have an onus as well for property, etc. And then I'm starting to head back to North Sydney Police Station. And then Dunn says to me, he says, he started sort of pointing. And he, and of course, he's the boss. He's the observer. I'm the driver. There's a guy in the back. I'm thinking we're going to get this guy back to the station. And we basically drove past the station. Mm-hmm. We drove down towards, can you guess that amusement park I'm about to mention? Uh, Luna Park. Yes, we drove yep. down to Luna Park. And listeners, I know what I'm about to say was 
slightly later in this little story, but I am going to say this to you all now as a preface, and that is that, and Paul makes um, reference to what I'm about to say, but I have been back to that location to actually check and verify my memory of this event. Because it seems, as I sit here telling everyone, it seems so unreal and implausible, the story that's about to unfold, but it did happen. And it didn't just happen on this occasion. So it, it, with, a, with a few of the police at North Sydney, and a very, very limited group of people, it was a known route back to the station. So we headed down Blues Point Road. Yep. We turned left into a street that takes you up to Alfred Street, and then there's a dip in the road, and there's a park. And down in this park, a very, very famous Australian artist has a house down there. And that artist is Brett Whiteley. And his wife still lives down there in that region, and she Mm. has got the most extraordinary garden. Sort of A lot of it's on public property. And it's a very famous garden. And you drive down into this park and the road veers around to the right of this magical park and a very, very almost secretive park that only the locals know about. And we drove around to one, to to sort of halfway around to the end, to the opposite end where we'd come in. And then there was a small track that went off to the right and fairly steep. And Dan is just indicating to me to keep driving. And we basically went off-road. But it's a, it's a beast of a vehicle. Yeah. And we went up this hill, and I looked down to my left, and I could see Lerner Park from an angle I'd never, ever seen before. Mm. Mm. And I saw a railway track that I hoped we weren't going to go onto. And Dunn said to me, I want you to drive <clears throat> onto the track and turn right and with some effort I managed to get the F100 up onto the railway track and I'm thinking to myself um, I mean I was flooded with a lot of emotions fear for thinking, you were 19 at this point weren't you you were very young uh, yeah I was 20 but I was right. thinking um, you know um, is this a working track and we drove for about well, several hundred metres mm-hmm. on the actual track. And I don't know whether anyone's ever driven on a railway track. Generally speaking, you're supposed to use, you know, big big wheels that are locked into the iron. Oh, like track. in those films where you've got the kind of people yeah. pumping the, the lever it. up and down. Yeah, yep. yeah. But no, we were just driving. We were straddling the actual track. But there are massive uh, railway sleepers, mm-hmm. uh, blue metal, and and it was incredibly bumpy, putting it mildly. And I was aware because I could, I could basically feel through the vibrations that the guy in the back of the vehicle in the paddy wagon, yeah, was he was experiencing. I mean, we had seat belts, and we were sitting in fairly padded seats. But you know, you know, when you go to a kind of suburban park and there's that weird sort of gravitron thing. It's like an orb with three doors. Yep. You step inside, you're sitting in a kind of tiny fiberglass mm. egg and you hold the wheel in the middle, turn it That's and then right. you regret all your life choices. So exactly. I'm picturing that kind of hunched fiberglass seating with, you know, like very smooth. Um, and he's basically in a completely... So there's no... 
<laughs> what I'm saying is, I'm guessing he's being thrown around pretty badly. Well, at you this could point. you could you could heal and heal heal. You could feel and hear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was happening, and and he's he's handcuffed as well. Yep. And I guess everyone listeners at this juncture, you know, people are going to be you know thinking what they think, but mm. I'm just telling it as it happened. Um, and I came to the entrance to this long dark tunnel. Yeah, I couldn't see the end. I could see no light. So it was obviously it was curving round to the right, and I was directed to drive into the uh, the tunnel, and I drove into this railway tunnel, and it was pitch black, but we had the headlights on, and then halfway through the tunnel, I imagine it was halfway through, uh, Dunn just put his hand on the steering wheel, and he said he looked over at me. Now another thing, listeners, <clears throat> and Paul. Something that I have omitted to explain to you all mm. is that if you turned around or used the rear vision mirror in the front cabin of the F one hundred, you could see inside the I could see the prisoner. Okay? Right. But he he too could if he moved over and put his face up against the glass, he could literally look inside the cabin That's really to, that we were sitting in. That's extremely interesting. I, I didn't know. actually. And, I didn't and know. Uh, and I know. Not... I know, Paul, because as I'm saying it, I I read the chapter, uh, you know, an hour ago. Yeah. And I didn't. It's not mentioned because I would not have mentioned it to you when you were writing. And it's right. one of those funny things where I'm thinking about it, and now I remember because one of the things that I remember mm-hmm. when I look behind, his face was really, really close, literally pressed up against the glass. Can yeah. you imagine what he saw? He saw two police officers sitting in relatively comfort in the cabin of a big police wagon. Mm. But he would have looked out the windscreen and seen the headlights of the paddy wagon going off into the distance and fading away into, into pure black. Jesus Christ. Now that, that um, and he may well have gone to the back. He may have shuffled along one of the bench seats he was sitting on. He may have then... Looked through the rear uh, slats or shutters yep. on the back yep. door, and he would have seen, albeit a slightly downward-looking vista, he would have caught with the glowing headlights that would have made their way. The light would have very, very subtly made its way underneath the entire truck, and he could have then looked down <clears throat> perhaps 45 degrees with a very limited forward view and he would have seen blue metal and railway tracks i mean i mean it defies description be fucking terrifying but 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 okay he was terrified and i was mildly terrified of course yeah. i'd never been there before Did you never quite... think of uh, would, would you were you at any point going like, what are you, what are we doing what what are you do <laughs> look Did i just not... yeah look I, a part of me was look i i, I thought I mean, I'd already, I'd worked with Dunn before and I just, you know, obviously lots of things went through my mind. I mean, was this, I, I don't know, Paul, I, lots of things went through my mind about the, the various outcomes, what may or may not um, was going to happen. And um, I'll never forget um, Dunn said to me in the cabin, he said, uh, turn all the lights off and take the keys out of the ignition, which I did. And it was like being in a dark room in a photographic studio. It was yeah. zero light, and we just sat there. I could hear my heart beating, as I can hear it beating now. And we sat there, and I just 
remember, look, many, many thoughts, lots of thoughts went through my mind about the, I guess, the moral aspect of what was happening. Yep. Um, And FYI, listeners, I never, ever did this again. I mean, I, I was the driver, but when I became the senior man, um, I, I never sort of did this particular thing because I thought it was um, <clears throat> basically going a little bit too far yeah. um, it, from a human rights perspective. Yeah. Plus, I was worried about, it, about a bloody train coming down. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we waited a while and, uh, and eventually the, the guy in the back, he just sort of, God, I, 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 he may have thought this was, this was it. Um, I, if I had been him, I would, I would have been really, really scared. And then we started up, started up, and we turned the lights on, kept driving. I was driving slowly, um, so the bumps were kind of relatively, um, they weren't super jerky. And um, anyway, we came to the end, and it was pretty dark by then. And we pulled over. Dunn goes around to the back of the, uh, the wagon. Mm-hmm. We open up the back door, and the guy gets out. He was a different person. And then Dunn did something that I thought was kind of cool. Um, and it was sort of interesting what he did. He said to the guy, and we were, we were basically on a public street, but weirdly in a slightly different, almost a different suburb, but by name only, um, because we'd gone underneath this cliff, basically. And... He basically said to this guy, he just said, look, um, piss off. Um, we never, ever want to see you again. Um, I undid his handcuffs and he just, he left. We closed the back of the, um, the door, done. We, we, we got in the front seat and Dunn said to me, you know, this is basically, um, yes, this has happened tonight, but it didn't happen. And um, I guess one of the good things about this story is that there was no paperwork, which sounds rather bizarre. Um, Dunn felt he had dealt with this particular person in a certain mm. way. I would love to meet that guy today and see whether that had any effect, uh, a, 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 good, a good effect perhaps, um, or hopefully he didn't then become a police officer and beat the shit out of people. Who knows? But, um, you know, that that's a story from the annals, Paul, and it's a fucking great story. That's terrifying. I mean, one of the things... That the, the reason the book is called Loose Units is because... Uh, I feel like yourself and quite a few of the cops there were, or at least at least cops like Dunn adopted a kind of, you know, two-thirds good, one-third bad sort of approach to policing where you want it to be a little bit scary and a little bit loose and a little bit unpredictable, but you were at heart good, right? You know, yeah, you kind yeah. of, you, you know, you bent the rules, you didn't break them. I mean, there are cops yeah. in loose units who outright were bad and broke the rules and hurt people and were just bad people. Yeah. Uh, mm. And I think the reason Dunn is such an interesting character is because he is kind of the embodiment of that style of policing where he, you know, he does sketchy stuff from time to time, but he but he didn't actually ever kind of cross that line, uh, at least in the within the confines of the book. Uh, so, yeah, it's really interesting hearing about him as a character. I'm really curious as to how this stuff is going to play if we ever turn this into a, you know, TV show. I mean, 
first of all, it'd be really interesting to go and shoot that scene theoretically in the actual tunnel where it oh, happened. It'd be fantastic. That what a powerful, powerful episode that'd be. Because it's all—I mean, it's all real shit that happened. It's just—it's crazy. No, it's—it's. It's, if I saw that on a on a, on a crime, mm. you know, drama, I'd be thinking this is just unbelievable. But it's 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 important to um, it's a part of of the time, and um, you know, I like to regard myself. <clears throat> as having been a very, I, I, I definitely had pretty high morals in terms of my policing career, and yeah. um, and I, I got to see lots of things that I did and didn't agree with. But but you know, metaphorically, listeners, in terms of what was happening in my mind at the time, I may have given a victory sort of you know fist into the air in my mind at yep. the conclusion of that entire affair. Yeah. Even though I wouldn't do that myself. Now, is that am I being a hypocrite? Um, should I have gone back to the police station and reported it? No, I maybe, but yeah, there goes my career. Uh, so no. Um, and also, you, I, I think at this point it's worth stressing that you're very young and very you know just a young guy, kind of going with the flow a little bit, but also scared, but also excited. I mean, there's so much going on. I know it's so, incredible. You know, Adrenaline. by the time. That shit happens. You blink and you miss it. I think you're the real period of self, um, uh, you know, of, of kind of self uh, introspection and analysis and whatnot is happening now, Agreed. right? Agreed. I mean, this is the this is you unpacking this stuff and and dealing with it and analyzing it with me. And I think, you know, um, it's very it, it it's interesting looking back and going, God, it was so long ago, and it feels like it's almost you. I feel like people change who they are every couple of years. I feel like people go through different sort of periods where they are just completely different people. And I feel like you now would probably make very different choices back then, but it's comforting to know that both versions of you wouldn't cross certain lines, I feel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Even even then, even as young and naive as you were and kind of inexperienced as you were and, you know, overwhelmed... There are still certain. There were still certain kind of safety catches that Definitely. triggered automatically. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm vehemently opposed to any type of violence. Although people will argue that psychologically that may well have been traumatic. Yeah, but if you have a trauma cake and it was divided up that particular afternoon, I copped forty percent of it. You think you copped forty percent of it? That's a lot of cake. And he got sixty percent in terms of it's- fear and terror. I, I right. did. I did share. On many many grounds, a lot of yeah. I was it was a tug of war with me that that shift. Um, but I must admit, it really does help, and I love talking about it. Um, and it's and that's really helped me um, to be able to talk about these things. And they're, and they're, they're fascinating stories, and they're they're a, a a lens, a portal, a window into policing in New South Wales in the eighties. Dare I say it? Probably, if not more so. Mm-hmm. Victoria and Queensland and God help the Northern Territory and Western Australia and South Australia and Tasmania so yeah but but I was in, in, in amongst it I was right in the thick of it mm. there's a whole bunch of pull quotes in there dad that's some goddamn good copy if you wrote the reviews for this show and for the books woof We'll be on the charts every day thank you so much everyone for listening to this episode of Loose Units next week We're going to be going to chapter 22, so make sure you do your reading. Grab a copy of Loose Units, head to your library, listen to the audiobook, uh, grab the ebook, or, you know, buy a copy of Loose Units. Make sure you grab a copy of Electric Blue as well, because 
I'm so goddamn proud of that book. And this Friday, we have a really interesting episode of Loose Ends. There's so much cool stuff coming up on Loose Units. We're so grateful that you're all listening. And we just, we think you're all amazing. So thank you so much for listening and reading. And we'll see you later this week for more Loose Units. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Love your work. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.